0: Hey everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman back for the 144th Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. We're starting off with 53 people and the great Medea Benjamin, along with Dennis Bondar. Uh, Our first hour today, we are gonna focus on Ukraine and on the reactors at Zaporizhia uh, and the request to get the United Nations in there to uh, take them over for God's sakes, uh, not since the Suez uh, crisis in 1956, as the U.N. sent in a protective force, uh, but uh, in this case, we really need it. Uh, obviously, so the first hour is going to be taken up with Ukraine. We're going to hear from Carl Grossman as well as Tatanka Bricka um, on b- both the political situation in Ukraine and on the nuclear crisis. In the second hour, we'll be joined by Joss Fox, the great activist filmmaker and we're also going to deal with some gerrymandering issues. Actually, a couple of um, uh, court decisions in New York and Alabama, of all places that have gone uh, in our favor in terms of democracy and uh, and uh, putting an end to gerrymandering, uh, that, that will be in the second hour. Uh, but we're going to start with the great Medea Benjamin, one of the true um, of, uh, vanguard activists. Uh, if ever my daughter's had a role model, it would be Padia Benjamin, she is just uh, ferocious and um, uh, nonstop. Has a book out now about Ukraine. Once it's, we'll, t- uh, we'll hear her uh, speak on Ukraine, and uh, and then joined by Dennis Bondar to tell us about the uh, horrific and terrifying situation with the nuclear reactors in Ukraine. And then we're going to open it up. We'll do the full hour. Uh, after all, this is a war, and probably in the in the history. of of the world, it is as dangerous a war as we've ever had, because of the presence of these six nuclear plants. I also read uh, somewhere, someone is claiming that there were, uh, there was a breach in the security at the storage facility for Russia's nuclear weapons. So we will talk about all that. But we want to start with Medea. Medea, you're welcome to post in the chat, the link to your book. Tell us about your book, and tell us what you want to, say from code pink and from your great history as a peace activist um uh what what your feelings are uh and your take is on the war uh, in ukraine well i know go ahead go ahead medea Uh,
1: thank you for inviting me on and i know uh people are in this call uh as well as around the world are so concerned about the climate issue, as we are dealing with the record heat, people are starting to understand how this is an existential threat to the planet. Uh, The same is true of Ukraine. And unfortunately, there's not enough people who understand that existential threat when you have what has become very much a proxy war between the uh, U.S. and Russia that have 95 percent of the world's uh, nuclear weapons, um, people should be really up in arms about this continued war and be doing everything they can to figure out ways to get all the parties to the negotiating table. Uh, I just got back from Ukraine. Uh, I uh, wrote this book uh, about a year ago um, uh, it's called War in Ukraine, making sense of a census conflict. And while I'm talking, maybe somebody could put the link in. Um, but I went to Ukraine recently just to try to get a sense um, Six a, a year and a half into this war, what people there were thinking. And unfortunately, uh, I found most of the people I talked to thinking that a victory was possible in terms of Ukraine getting back every inch that Russia had taken of the Donbas and Crimea. And uh, my sense from both uh, everything that I read on what's happening on the ground, uh, as well as what has clearly become lack of progress in Ukraine's counteroffensive, as well as documents that were leaked from the Pentagon a few months back um, show that this is really a stalemate, uh, that all that's happening now is a lot of soldiers getting killed, a lot of civilians being killed, a lot of continued death and misery. And so when I talk to people in Ukraine about how they think this war is going to end, On the one hand, they are fed a steady diet in the Ukrainian media uh, and from their leaders uh, that they are going to be able to take back uh, 100 percent and achieve a real uh, victory. Um, uh, When I said that, you know, I would I would respond and say, uh, do you think Russia is really going to allow Ukraine to take back uh, Crimea? Um, Privately, people would say no, but we can't talk about that publicly. And so, there you have on one side um, the idea that a victory is possible. And of course, you have that on the Russian side as well uh, that uh, they believe they are much more capable militarily than the Ukrainians, no matter what weapons NATO puts into the mix. Uh, And they have Uh, of course, the ultimate weapon, which is a uh, tactical nuclear weapon, which they have actually threatened to use. So uh, my uh, great um, misgiving is not only all the weapons that NATO is throwing into this, and we can talk about the latest horrific decision on the part of the Biden administration to send in cluster munitions, despite a global ban that 123 nations have signed, um, despite the fact that depleted uranium is being sent in with armor that the British are sending in, um, that uh, not just all of these weapons that NATO is putting into this mix, but that the United States, particularly the Biden administration, has not done anything to push for negotiations, uh, has not done anything to talk directly to uh, Putin or to Lavrov, uh, and has not done anything to push Zelensky towards negotiations. Now, you might say, well, it's the Russians that really need to be pushed. And of course, they do. And I think that's why many of us were excited about the Chinese coming in with their peace proposal, because they do have so much leverage uh, with the Russians. Uh, But so far, the US and NATO have done nothing to push for negotiations, have continued this myth uh, that Ukrainians can uh, have complete victory. And it's just taking us deeper and deeper into a war that could easily turn into a third world war. And could easily turn into a nuclear conflagration. So I think it's our job uh, to join with coalitions like the Peace in Ukraine Coalition, uh, like the International Group of Progressive Democrats of America, uh, like the organization I represent, which is Code Pink, and find ways that we can be educating and mobilizing more people. I do wanna say at a, a positive note, That while it's been very difficult to bust through the mainstream media narrative and uh, the narrative we get from the vast majority of people in Congress, as well as from the White House, Uh, that is changing. It's changing as the war drags on and public opinion shows that more and more Americans want to see a negotiated settlement. It's changing as there are more Republicans, not just those on the extreme right, uh, who are putting forward initiatives uh, to um, stop the, uh, the flow of weapons and instead support negotiations. And it's opening up because there are presidential candidates from the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, people running uh, like Cornell West for the Green Party, Uh, and um, very soon probably more libertarians uh, running for president who are taking a position that we have to find a way to end this war at the negotiating table. And this is a very popular position. It's reaching millions of Americans. And I think it's giving us the space that we need uh, to do more organizing. So that's the basics that I wanted to put out. And I'm open for whatever discussion you'd like to have.
0: Media, uh, it's really great to hear from you. You're so articulate and powerful. I wanted to make sure that this is a two-pronged discussion, if you don't mind. I want to, before we have response to your particular talk, I wanted to add in Dennis Bondar. Last week, we uh, began discussing with Howie Hawkins, who's on the call from the Green Party, the movement to get the United Nations to send a peacekeeping force to the Zaporizhia nuclear plant. So, Dennis, if you will follow Medea, and then we'll uh, go to Carl Grossman and um, uh, to Tonka Bricka and uh, and have a general discussion. Uh, Thank you for that, uh, Medea. Uh, If you can post in the chat, or Steve, if you can post in the chat the link and the title for Medea's book, uh, that would be great. Uh, Dennis Bondar, you're talking to us from New Orleans, and you've been working to get the UN to send a peacekeeping force into uh, zaporizhia can you tell us about your efforts please
2: thank you javi for this invitation uh, so i would like to maybe begin a little bit by uh saying uh kind of as a response to media uh, comments uh that this war i'm originally myself from ukraine my parents and friends still live there um and uh, this war actually uh, a lot reminds me of what my grandparents told me about the world war ii uh, this there's a lot of similarity um and in fact this war is the absolutely existential war for Ukrainian people and uh i would like to bring to your attention this uh, publication that was put forth uh, by um uh, russian uh, political um scientists or, or political technolo- political technologists rather uh at the uh, the beginning of the full scale invasion of the of ukraine
0: but Dennis, let's focus for the time being on the on the nuclear aspect, and then we'll get into the politics of the war, if we if we would.
2: Okay, sure, sure. Let's let's do that. Please, so go a... ahead and tell yeah. us
0: what's going on at Zaporizhia.
2: Yeah. So, um, uh, I have to say, um, first of all, I would like to right away spotlight this uh, beautiful and very informative article posted on the blog of the Union of Concerned Scientists by Ed Limon. Uh, uh, on, in July 7 about the, the Parisian nuclear power plant and in particular, uh, Lehman criticizes here the um, international agencies for actually downplaying the risk uh, of the current situation in the plant. So the, the the risks are actually very high. There's plenty of scenarios from from mild to absolutely catastrophic. And the Chernobyl-like scenario or Fukushima-like scenario are not yet ruled out, cannot be ruled out. And this is, has to be important. Moreover, um uh, uh, Limon actually uh, draws our attention to the fact that currently the power plant uh, is uh, operating in the in the regime where where no power plant on earth has been actually nuclear power plant was actually in operation, meaning that the all six reactors are in long term, cold or hot shut down with fuel fuel still inside the reactors. This has never been done before. So in fact, this is a very dangerous little this this is operated in the regime where it's nobody knows what's going to happen. And the scenario for Fukushima and Chernobyl like um, disaster still uh, cannot be ruled out. So this is this is very important to realize. Um, earlier in October, um, myself, uh, was, was Zahar Popovich and, and Vira Manam, uh, we have actually uh, reached out to uh, the trade union of uh, Ukrainian uh, nuclear workers, uh, who have whose members st- are still at the plant and the uh, and actually engineers that run the plant, and we actually conducted an interview. So I said, it's a little bit out of date. October seven. Uh, and the a very stark picture about the conditions of n- nuclear workers emerged, that the people are, um, the, it's horrible conditions, they're under constant harassment by, by FSB and other Russian security, there is, uh, uh, the few people feel unsafe, uh, you know, the situa- The nuclear power plant, there's an Ergodar city, which where the nuclear power plant workers live, the living conditions are disastrous, uh, the uh humanitarian aid cannot be reached because uh, russians are actively blocking it um all this uh, very difficult situation it's very important to realize that these workers operate a very highly of course dangerous facility and the fact that they are living in such a distressed situation is not not a welcome development in fact according to um international atomic agency um you know the main factor to to tackle any possible accident is actually the staff has to be uh, on place and in a good state of mind so this is you know the living conditions cannot be factorized out from the discussion about the plant it's its integral part um and uh unfortunately i reached out to them again recently and you know the situation did not improve it got even worse actually it got even worse uh the uh, russian management is, is uh, russian occupation forces, trying to impose um trying to force the upper management of the plant actually to sign the contract with ross atom it's a russian nuclear agency uh, whereas the majority of the uh, engineers still actually refuse to sign the contract with ross atom um and it, this harassment still continues and in the situation you know the living conditions are still very very bad unfortunately i have to say that the nuclear plant workers engineers they feel betrayed by the international community they feel that uh, role of International Atomic Agency has been actually um, um, rather negative, actually, not a, not a constructive. It's basically de facto serves to legitimize the presence of the Russian forces. And the only solution actually to the uh, uh, like security of this facility is to Russian forces to actually withdraw. That's the, that's the only solution. Um, and in fact, like uh, the trade union, Atom Spilka, does the name of the trade union. They feel, you, you can hear like the, the pain uh how they feel abandoned by international now, um, the, the international community. Now so, the international community. Yeah, like international and agencies. About, international agencies, yes. Yeah, the IA, uh, the International
0: Atomic Energy Agency, unfortunately, also promotes nuclear power. Yes. And you are right, we have been seeing um spokespeople from the nuclear industry downplaying the um the danger here. Uh let me very quickly, if I can, uh, we have there the six reactors there, this is the biggest nuclear plant in Europe because it has six reactors. Uh, every one of them is capable of a Chernobyl or a Fukushima. Um, they are in various states of shutdown. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dennis. They're in various states of shutdown from cold to, uh, I guess, hot. But all the six uh, fuel pools are vulnerable to because they need constant uh, uh, um Uh, cooling, and the the fuel supplies are dubious. And it's an extremely unstable situation. And God forbid, should the fuel pools lose cooling, uh, we would have a, uh, the, the idea that the reactors being in shutdown becomes irrelevant, because of the gargantuan quantities of radiation that would come out of the fuel pools. Is that correct, Dennis?
2: I mean, it's true. There are plenty of scenarios. Yes, uh, five reactors are in cold shutdown, and w- one in hot shutdown to produce steam, which is necessary for plant maintenance. um uh, And um, yes, the of course uh, the, the AE uh, and other agencies they actually say, oh, the the design of the reactors are not Chernobyl-like, so therefore the Chernobyl-like accident cannot you know cannot happen. But this is just not. You know, Fukushima was not Chernobyl-like design, but still, you know, the, the amount of radiation released at Fukushima disaster was comparable to Chernobyl's. Of course, the vast majority of it went into the ocean. That's the difference. Right. It, well, it came to to the, design. You too. Now, yeah. you, you said that you feel the
0: only solution
2: is a Russian
0: withdrawal, but wouldn't the um, um, arrival of security uh, forces from the United Nations uh, mitigate the situation?
2: Yeah, so let me continue. So as, as I, here I show on the screen the uh, a report from International Labour Organization corroborating the, you know, the conversation that I have had with the union members uh, on the on the state of very uh, horrible state uh, affairs for workers uh, there. Um, uh, so now, like, I would like to draw your attention to this interesting fact that the uh, that the head of the department of nuclear energy at international atomic agency is actually former ross atom senior uh, senior manager i mean this is <laughs> the, the, his name is michael chudeco and this is the snapshot from the webpage i mean this is is it not clear evidence of uh you know some kind of conflict of interest to put it very mildly i mean this okay. is unacceptable right and ross atom is claiming uh is trying to claim the ownership of this plant and operational ownership so This is actually explains the dysfunction of EAE, right, Uh, uh, handling this crisis, very serious crisis. Okay, very good. Uh, Medea, did you want to... Dennis? thank you so so much for that. Just just to to my slides, that Taras Luz, an activist uh, from Ukraine left, quite an affinity left activist, uh, make a proposal. um, And I would like you to uh, read his article and and comments uh, about his proposals. How UN can play a very prominent role, and based on that, the Ukrainian so- Socialist Solidarity Network uh, made a meeting where I was a part of, it, and Taras was part of it, and we had uh, drafted a, a petition uh, to actually were um, calling for um, for actually creating a demilitarized uh, zone as, around the nuclear power, the Nuclear Power plant, and it's we would like to follow a model of the Suez Channel crisis where uh, where actually Britain invaded um, egypt, and um, in order to circumvent the uh general security council uh sorry the security council the general u n assembly voted to introduce uh a, you know peacekeeping force in this u s channel and it was approved and the you know the, it was it was sent there so we would like to pro we propose a petition exactly following this pattern. this is right now absolutely working solution. I think this is a you know immediate measure which can be effective to create a dmz zone uh dmz around the plan following the well-established international precedent uh we have translated this petition to many languages you can see um as you can see here uh please you know distribute please consider signing it uh we are um you know we need your support right now and It's and you know if this is successful, this would be great because this again will show that international agencies like UN can still be force for good can be can still help a lot you know to solve the crisis. Thank you. Thank you. Very very good. Medea, do you
0: want to comment on what Dennis has said here?
1: Well, I think it's a great idea. I'd be totally supportive of a demilitarized zone, and I know. Uh, that there are a number of international groups that have actually gone there and tried to do a a people's version of this. But, you know, this is much more than individuals can take on. We certainly need the United Nations.
0: Absolutely. I want to get I'm going to call on Carl Grossman in a minute, a great nuclear expert. But I want to give people very quickly uh, this the potential scope of a disaster at, at the Zaporizhia nuclear plant is pretty much incomprehensible. I mean, we're talking about six very large reactors. There's more, far more radiation involved in Zaporytia than there was at Chernobyl. Chernobyl is a relatively new reactor. These reactors have been operating for a while, and the fuel pools are loaded. Uh, the, the, the amount of radiation that could come out of a disaster at Zaporytia would dwarf Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and certainly approached Chernobyl uh, and Fukushima, uh, probably by multiple factors. So Medea, uh, um, uh, it's great to hear you. I hope you've got time to stick with us. And uh, I want, be- before we go into the politics of the war, I want to deal with this with a couple of experts. Uh, nobody knows more about nukes than Carl Grossman, and um, uh, and then Howie, if he can mention, Harry Hawkins and then Tatanka Bricka, Uh, So we can mention the um, the the actual mechanics of this petition, Dennis. I noticed there are only six hundred signatures on that petition. Is that the only one that's going around, Dennis? Are there more petitions?
2: Uh, There were a few competing petitions, earlier petitions Uh, uh, with slightly different flavor. But yes, that's uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's growing. We posted like I think a a little bit more than a week ago, Um, I think, or a week ago. So hopefully. Uh, everybody could just, you know, spread the word and this will get together. And again, this is, this is, the UN can still do a lot. This is, we would like to have, despite all the negative sort of, (laughs) you know, things that we see, but it it still can do this. It still can save, you know, save. I don't
0: know who else could. I mean, Medea, I know that you've been desperately working for peace for quite a while in Ukraine. Has the UN been any help at all in bringing peace to Ukraine?
1: Well, the UN has been involved in the grain deal, which, unfortunately, uh, Russia just pulled out of. And the Secretary General has been uh, verbally very supportive, but I think there's a lot more um, that they could do. And and uh, people, we have friends who are uh, staff in the UN, and they have been getting staff members of the UN by the hundreds to be pushing Uh, that the UN get more involved. So, yeah, they certainly could do more. And this is one example.
0: What has been the holdup? I mean, you would think that the UN would have been involved a long time ago. What's keeping the UN from getting involved there, Medea?
1: Well, uh, as I said, it's not that they're not involved. It's more um, what can they do that's outside? I mean, you know, let's face it. They get most of their funding comes from the U.S., Uh, They have a security council that's dysfunctional because of the veto power of uh, the big five. Uh, And so it's hard to get anything done um, when they have been, uh, they have been mostly doing things like having uh, general assembly sessions where uh, different measures have come up. Uh, But those are really just symbolic, Um, many of them are uh, to condemn Russia, but then even the countries that vote to condemn Russia have turned around and said, well, we don't want to um, comply with the sanctions, and we really don't want to get involved in uh, a war between the U.S. and Russia as they see it. So the U.N. has so many um, bureaucratic and just internal uh, obstacles to getting things done.
0: Well, we admire your continued efforts, uh, Carl Grossman. Do you want to comment on the nuclear situation, Howie, on the um, on the uh, 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 the petition to the UN, and to talk, and then we'll go to uh, Wynn when Fireman and Wendy Liederman. Uh, go ahead, Carl. Yeah, uh,
3: what I would suggest people uh, well read is the work of Bennett Ramberg, and on the chat, I put in the uh, a connection to. Uh, a most recent article was from last year uh, in uh, it was on project censored a uh, project syndicate. Uh, he wrote the book. This is 1985 nuclear power plants as weapons for the enemy. And through the years, and I'm talking now about uh, more than, uh, well, uh, like three decades I've quoted from his book and I've quoted from his writings. I think this is very important because, a nuclear power plant is a, and this has been said by others, a pre-deployed weapon of mass destruction. And as, uh, as Bennett writes in this most recent piece uh, on Project indicated, there is no international convention that bans attacks on nuclear plants in wartime. The International Atomic Energy Agency has made little headway and I don't know how much of a push it's given, in persuading the Conference on Disarmament. This is part of the UN. Uh, uh, it, it's out of Geneva to adopt a new protocol because the only protocol that exists is uh, the only global accord that even purports to address the matter. And and Bennett cites it. And let me just, just go on for a few minutes. Uh, in this article, And again, I, I, I provided the link Uh, Bennett uh, traces the first attack at a nuclear power plant to 1980 when Iran went after the Osirak uh, nuclear plant in Iraq. uh, Didn't cause great damage. Nine months later, Israel got involved and did destroy that plant. Uh, He goes on about how during the 1991 Persian Gulf War, both Iraq and the United States targeted active nuclear sites. Uh, and then uh, just been reading from the piece, and I'll just be brief here, that brings us back to Russia's war in Ukraine, which involves a threat to nuclear reactors, unlike anything we've ever seen before. Uh, he speaks about Russia uh, locating missiles and artillery uh, in Zaporizhia has turned the installation into a military base from which it has launched munitions. Uh, And it talks about the fallout risk. And then this is really important because it's not just Ukraine where you could have nuclear power plants involved in war. Uh, Here, uh, Bennett talks about uh, East Asia and China rumblings about taking Taiwan for force. Putting a spotlight on the island's two active nuclear power plants. Moreover, China uh, has numerous reactors on its southern coast that could become Taiwanese military targets. North Korea has. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Uh, India and and Pakistan. I, I, I mean, there really has to uh, just, just let me get to the end of Ramberg's piece here, which again I really suggest. Uh, yeah. Folks, read this. Now that the war in Ukraine has laid bare the risk we face, the international community has no excuse uh, besides getting action on this issue. The world needs a formal convention that bans attacks on nuclear reactors and related facilities. I mean, this is also a very big reason why there shouldn't be nuclear power, period. Uh, but, uh, and in my view, every nuclear power plant in the world or 400 plus should be shut down uh, for all the hazard, all the threat, uh, they, uh, they pose to life. But certainly this is a very specific issue. It's getting hotter and hotter as the decades have gone by. And it, it should be on the agenda of every peace group, uh, peace organization, and every, uh, safe energy, anti-nuclear organization. Again, the name of Bramberg's book, and, and get it, it's 1985, published by the University of California Press. But all the points in the book are still, if not even more so, uh, critical today. Nuclear right. power plants as weapons for the enemy.
0: Okay, thank you. And we also have to remember, of course, that when the um, the people who took down the World Trade Center were planning their attack, at least according to the, the uh, reports we have, they did contemplate hitting the Indian Point reactors uh, just north of New York City. Um, uh, Howie Hawkins, you want to comment quickly on the uh, attempt to get the UN involved? And then we'll go back to media and Dennis, and then we'll, we'll go to Tatanka.
4: Yeah, I'm going to post in the chat again that article that Dennis referred to by Taurus Billis, which really goes into why this is politically feasible. There are about 35 countries that abstained from condemning Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And they did so for economic and geopolitical reasons. But this resolution would not be directly crossing Russia. It would be about protecting all of us all around the world. So politically, uh, we could get a lot more countries. It would be a much stronger resolution. And then Russia might feel politically compelled to say, OK, We're withdrawing our military forces and the UN peacekeepers will take over. That's the political strategy there and uh, urge people to, um, you know, read Taurus's article and then uh, get involved in spreading this. I mean, Medea, if you can get code pink and peace in Ukraine coalition behind this petition, that will help a lot. Um, You know, it's a really serious situation. I mean, I don't think it's been mentioned that Ukrainian intelligence believes the cooling pond has been mined and that there may be mines on top of two of the reactors. Um, so, and, and then they pulled out the top management from Ross Adam away from the reactor as of July 5th, which may indicate something may be up. So uh, we can't wait, this is a real serious situation. So again, I urge everybody to sign that petition and spread it around. And I think this is something that's politically feasible in the UN. I mean, I think Medea was right. You know, they pass resolutions and they don't, don't do anything. But we got to put pressure on, you know, at least the United States to push this in the UN General Assembly.
0: Uh, Medea, do you want to comment on that?
1: Uh, <clears throat> no, I, as I said, I think it's a, a positive thing and uh, I look forward to reading more about it.
0: Okay. Uh, Dennis, uh, did you want to make a mention? Then we'll go to Tatanka, to Lynn Feinerman and Wendy Liederman.
2: Yeah, so thank you for this, you know, for, for the positive feedback for the petition, and indeed, the I mean, the news from I didn't want to cite the most recent news about how we did, you know, it, it's it's kind of scary to be honest. There's scary reports coming out. So indeed, the situation is rather much more urgent than I was trying to depict. But the whole, you know, and, and it's and it's politically absolutely feasible. That's that's Taras Bilous's article. I think makes a strong case for this. And in fact, it's actually absolutely, you know, Zelensky government was pushing. The Zelensky was pushing for this earlier in the year earlier this year. Um, but unfortunately, now sort of more of a, like a panic kind of reporting is coming from, from the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. But this is a, you know, I, I think everybody in the world would, would welcome this. Well,
0: as someone who has interviewed people uh, downwind from Three Mile Island in 1980, and then been to, to Kiev for the conference, uh, the 10th anniversary of Chernobyl, and who marched against Fukushima, I am absolutely terrified. I, I would have to say in my world as a historian that this is probably the most dangerous situation the world has faced since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And um, there is nothing that could compare in terms of destruction of human health and safety or the natural environment to uh, some, the, the worst case scenario or even not even not even the worst case scenario, at Zaporizhia. Um, but thank you for that, Dennis. Thank you, dear. Uh, Tatanka Bricka, and then uh, Lynn Feinerman and Wendy Wiederman. Tatanka, go
5: ahead. Yeah, I think I'll just share a personal story to underlie what Medea has been talking about for ever since this started, is that this is a proxy war between the major powers. It's largely been framed between Ukraine and Russia, but we are very much involved. This story will talk about the plans behind the plans. So uh, amount of Uh, humility, uh, people who are uh, citizens of the United States, and um, you can have no truth and reconciliation without truth. So 1976, I completed a campaign I worked for for my friend David Harris, who just recently passed, who ran for Congress in the peninsula. Um, The campaign ended the first week of November, and I got a call in the third week of November, 1976, which is almost 50 years ago, from a couple that was an ideal campaign couple. They put 32 people in the seats, they each had checkbooks, they made calls, they walked precincts, et cetera. They called me into their office. They happened to be working at Stanford Research Institute, which became Stanford Research International, when Stanford students protested the CIA's involvement there and the Defense Department with, uh, you know, around Silicon Valley and David Packard, et cetera. uh, I found out that was their place of work. I came in and they said, we would like to offer you a job. We think it'd be really, you'd be ideal for this. And I said, what does it pay? And what will I do? And when would it start? And it was a nearly $200,000 a year job in 76 for somebody who's a community organizer and out of work. It's highly uh, attractive. Um, they, I said, what what will you do? What, what would I do? I said, well, it involves travel. It involves, it involves per diem. and. Um, have a seat so I had a seat they said okay we'll be frank with you um 15 years from now there will be no Soviet Union and it's the first time I'd heard that in 1976 I said what do you do he said well we're working in the Soviet republics to bring democracy and I said and And they said well yeah there's a lot of resources there that we can connect with our corporations etc what is it you want me to do well, we need help on our U- Ukraine team, and we think you would be ideal, and within a year you could run the whole operation. Well, uh, OK, I also know you have a 50-year plan. I, I knew by now I wasn't going to take the job, but I-, I wanted to get some information. And I said, I know you have a 50-year plan. What is that? And they went through decade by decade. They took me into the room. They showed me Ukraine, strategic importance, the history, the breadbasket of the world, et cetera. And they said, shortly after the year 2020, the U.S. will very likely be at war with Russia, whoever the president is. And there will be a need for Russia to be involved in our, and they went like this, you know, print the quotes, our defensive arrangement of NATO. And the whole thing was because we needed to have Russia after it had gotten rid of its ethnic provinces to join the rest of the Caucasian nations of Europe to isolate China. That was our real enemy. Now, this is nearly 50 years ago. So yes, there's no excuse for anybody invading Ukraine, but Putin is easily to make the bad guy. There's a larger thing at, at work here. So we have to be first understand that this is a proxy war and Mm -hmm. these things take their long time plan and that truth and reconciliation is needed and i'm so happy to hear everybody speaking i will read these books i will sign this petition and try to get the word out because it is a tragedy for everybody involved in war all the time but it is a major global tragedy potentially for all life on earth so yeah
0: and the, man, thank you for that, and as we uh, well let's move ahead uh thank you very much to talk did you want to comment media or dennis before we move ahead no okay uh oh go ahead dennis very quickly
2: with all due respect this is not a proxy war in, in any sense in any reasonable sense so first of all if it were a proxy i mean so first of all, right, the uh, Ukraine has, uh, uh, so why, why in principle the military aid to Ukraine from United States is actually not only morally justified, but also actually legally can be justified. Is due okay. to the document, which is called the Budapest Memorandum, which was signed in 1994 with the United States, UK, Russia, and Ukraine, where Ukraine as a possessor of the third largest nuclear arsenal at that time. Give up all its nuclear weapons in this uh, in, in in exchange for the assurance for the security assurance from from once again Russian Federation, UK, US, um, yeah. and unfortunately this document is not actually only some Republicans mentioned this occasionally, but this is this is a big deal. Plus, okay. Ukraine also signed the Treaty on the Conventional Forces. Uh, uh, it's a signatory on on on, uh, on conventional forces in Europe, where actually lots of weapons were actually transferred to Russia from Ukraine. Like several thousand tanks, like hundreds of armed personal carrying vehicles, et cetera, et cetera okay. Many missiles. So it, it's, you know, and we see that there's not even weapons in 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 NATO, right? To to actually defend to, to support large scale invasion. And if it were in proxy war, what would Russian uh, TV claim that you know we want to do a genocide in, in Ukraine, right? Openly calling okay. for killing two thousand Ukrainians. So. Okay, it's it's more complicated than that. It's not a proxy war. It's a United States is doing its obligations according to the Budapest Memorandum.
0: Okay, well, we'll we're gonna uh, we're gonna get into the, we're getting into the partisan weeds here, but um um uh, we do have um uh, fifteen more minutes, and this is expected. Uh, Lynn and then Wendy, go
6: ahead and then Feynman. Okay, um, first of all, I would like to say I entirely support Carl Grossman's uh, proposal for uh, protection and um, shutting down of all the nuclear power plants and whatever contractual or treaty um, situation we can put up there, I'm for it. Um, Second of all, I think that a lot of the conversation is about, again, Russia's war in Ukraine or Ukraine's war with Russia. I think we need to take Tatanka's experience and instruction very seriously. This is a proxy war. The United States has 800 plus military bases around the world. It wants to control the world. And it is conducting proxy wars on all levels. I think that it's very difficult for someone like Medea, who wants to bring people together to even broach a subject like this. And certainly she can't get on radio or TV a lot doing it. So she's taken the wisest and most subtle approach to actually just trying to get a a treaty or, or at least a ceasefire of some kind. But somehow, someday we are going to have to face the fact that the United States has an aggressively controlling and destructive foreign policy and that involves proxy wars what we call proxy wars, with all due respect to Dennis and his viewpoint. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, Wendy, Wendy Lieberman.
7: Thank you, um, and thanks so much, especially for Medea for being with us and all the amazing work you've done through the years. I hope everyone here has um, followed her prolific work um, just to bring peace to the world, which just seems almost like a dirty word after being at war for 20 years constantly. Um, from what I understand, there was actually um, some sort of peace agreement that was come to with um, Zelensky and Putin back in March of 2022. And days later, Boris Johnson went to take a visit to Ukraine and then they pulled out of it and NATO stepped in. And, um, you know, we, we can talk about the um... And
2: Butcher happened, right? The massacre, right? When when, when okay. uh, was liberated um, and corpses thank were discovered, you. right?
7: Thank you, um, so there were peace agreements made because I mean, right now the the globe is facing climate catastrophe. I'm in South Florida now, and it's like we're roasting. I mean, there's so many things we fa- we enemies we face as a global species, and for the entire world to be teetering on the border of world war for this one thing when there's so many other factors happening in Africa and everywhere. Um, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. And and the the trillions of dollars basically we're sending over there now while people are starving in our streets doesn't need to happen. Um, so I, and I, I just, I know Medea brought up um, NATO for a moment before. I don't know if she wants to comment a little bit on that and just how close we could be to World War III and what we as a people can do to pressure our representatives to start negotiations and become a leader in peace and diplomacy again, because we are on a suicidal track, and we cannot continue. It is not sustainable for us or our planet. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you. And uh, Medea mentioned uh, uh, we, three, there's three types of weapons we're sending there: uh, cluster munitions, which are we talked about last week, uh, a real nightmare. Um, the DU, the depleted uranium, <laughs> you know, it, spread, it makes it into a nuclear war on the low level, but it's still a nuclear war. And then the the, mine, the treaty on the mines that we have refused to sign. Are you, Wendy, are you, uh, I'm sorry, when uh, Wendy mentioned you. Do you want to say something in
1: response? I think it's important to bring up this issue of NATO because next year NATO is going to be hosted in the U.S. in Washington, D.C. Its summit will be July 9th through 11th. Uh, We have no idea where things will be in the war in Ukraine, but we have to know that NATO is not a defensive alliance. It's a warfare alliance. It's an aggressive military alliance. At their meeting in Vilnius, they invited uh, um, uh, those countries in the Asia Pacific uh, that are key to uh, the US, and that is New Zealand, Australia, South Korea, and Japan. Uh, to strengthen that partnership uh, and to confront China. So NATO is already setting its sights on China. Anybody who cares about peace in the world, who doesn't want to see nuclear confrontation should see NATO as uh, an alliance that must be dissolved. And so we're already starting to look at how we can organize for next year to bring people in in the United States who care about the environment, people who care about poverty, race issues, whatever it is, um, if you want to see the trillion dollars that the U.S. is spending on militarization instead spent on dealing with the climate crisis and global poverty and pandemics, uh, then we really ought to unite, no matter our differences, uh, and focus on how are we going to move towards the dissolution of NATO.
0: I, I just want to interrupt here. thank you for that, Medea. Thank you very much. I, I hope by the way you put the contacts for uh, Code Pink in the uh, in the chat. Uh this has been uh for those of you at the listening to us on the Solotopia um uh Green Paraguana show on Pro- Progressive Radio Network, we're nearing the end of our first hour. Uh we've been talking with Medea Benjamin of Code Pink and Dennis Bondar um, from Ukraine on the, the war in Ukraine and the horrific dangers we face at the um, Zephrige nuclear plant and the request uh the, the the movement to get the United Nations to uh make a security a a, a demilitarized zone around the Zephrige plant this um uh the dialogue will continue uh in the second hour but you you won't hear it at prn if you want to sw- swing over and hear the rest of it we're at uh, uh, electionprotection2024.org electionprotection2024 uh, thank you, uh, Dylan, Rodney, uh, for uh, engineering us at Progressive Radio Network, and uh, uh, glad to have you with us for another week. And as I say, we will continue. Uh, go to electionprotection2024.org. Uh, Justin, uh, and then um, uh, Dorothy Reich. Go ahead, Justin.
8: Sure. Uh, uh, I've heard some mention economic leverage and uh, you know climate change i'd like to see the united states put its money where its mouth is and do the same kind of thing it did with china regarding the uh, uh 5g and spying in which biden actually uh they, they called it decapitated the silicon industry in china by uh saying that anybody who consulted with or worked with the chinese on chip technology going even as far back as the 90s uh, the technology that old uh, would lose their citizenship protections and even international you know, military protections uh, by doing so and so a, a comparable thing for Russia would be anybody who works in their oil industry and their oil fields uh, loses their international protections as well Uh, so that there actually is some economic leverage because Russia is still largely uh, not only an oil economy, they're largely a contractor economy that if they don't get help from the outside, they can't even prop themselves up.
0: Okay, thank you for that, uh, uh, Justin. Very interesting. We appreciate it. Uh, William Bronson, you're raising your hand and then we'll go to Dorothy and Howie. Uh, uh, William, did you want to say something before I go to Dorothy? Go ahead, William.
3: I just wanted to urge Dennis to contact the Physicians for for Social Responsibility, which is a crucial physician's organization that played a very key part in the struggle in the 60s and 70s. And I sent him the phone number and name of the Sacramento leader of PSR in order to get to the National. I don't know where the National is any longer. PSR has been rather silent but I think it would be a very important crowd to mobilize for the
2: petition. That's all I had to suggest. Thank you, I received. thank you very much. Yes, thank you,
0: Um, and PSR would be a great group to circulate this petition. If nothing else comes out of this call that's tangible, aside from people getting Medea's book, um, I I would hope that we can push this petition uh, because God help us all. Dorothy Reich, Uh, go ahead, Dorothy, and then Howie. Dorothy Reich, you need to unmute. Did you just disappear? There you are. Okay, go ahead.
9: You know, years ago, I there was an article in the Intercept, and I can never find it, but it it described a meeting between the uh, Wall Street analysts and the defense and defense industry, where the defense industry said to the Wall Street analysts, "Do not fear, because when the war in the Middle East is over, there's always the Far East." And today there's another article, and the article says that, well, the, the, the defense industry now is really just pushing for a cold war with China to build up their their military, you know, production, and they're not looking now for a hot war with China, because I think they've realized that that's too destructive. I mean, they like their iPhones, you know, they don't want a hot war with China. But I think this war in Ukraine is kind of the... Keeping them going, they want to keep it going. There's a lot of money to be made, and uh, they don't see any upside for them to end this war. It's like what Lyndon Johnson said: "I can't, I can't stop the war in Vietnam. My friends are making too much money." I mean, the defense—you know—the lobbyists for the defense industry are just across the street from the White House. There would be articles about it when Biden first got elected. So, um, well, no
0: matter what, uh, Dorothy, you're right. I mean, um, no matter which side you're on, the defense the military industry is profiting from this war. And, um, you know, the thing about um, uh, the, the Zaporizhia issue and global warming, as Medea says, and other climate issues, it doesn't matter which side you're on and um, whether you whether you think it's a, a proxy war or not, um, Zaporizhia uh, is not going to discriminate if those radioactive clouds go out of those reactors. Well,
9: I was just laughing with my friend. I said, I thought, you know, I was, I wasn't going to live to see this major global warming because it kept saying 2030, 2040. I said, I'll be gone. But no, I, I, I'm still here. And now it's global warming. And uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know if I'm glad to be, still be alive or not because uh, God knows what's in store for us now. Well, I thought I, I was all gone when this all happened.
0: The pavement in Las Vegas today is 160 degrees. So if you want to cook, cook your dinner, Just take a frying pan out on the street and put it down there. Um, uh, 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 Thank you, Dorothy. Uh, Howie Hawkins, did you want to comment? Yeah, um, I think
4: as progressives, our duty is to be in solidarity with the oppressed. And when you come to Ukraine, the only imperialist army that invaded Ukraine with hundreds of thousands of troops used cluster munitions on civilians, depleted uranium shells on tanks, and has mined an area the size of the nation of Austria is Russia. You know, when we provided arms to the Red Army, did that make the USSR a proxy of the United States? You know, I really think that's insulting to the people of Ukraine who are fighting for their lives. And we can see that it's a people's war. It's not just the people in the armed forces. It's the whole society is mobilized to provide Mutual aid and humanitarian aid to the third of the country that's been uh, displaced from their homes and you know have had to become uh, refugees or internally displaced people now every war of national liberation like ukraine's, all the imperialist powers try to influence it. that just you know is the nature of world imperialism but you know, what people like Dennis and his group, Solzheny Ruk, the social movement say is, we're fighting both Russian tanks and Western banks. I mean, they get it. They know that Western imperialism is not on the side of the working class and the popular classes in Ukraine. I'm gonna put two articles in the chat. Uh, one of them's by Dennis and a- another one, they're both by this left group, uh, from Solzheny Ruk, about the question of negotiations. And you know, I think when we come to regarding what the Ukrainians want,
0: we need to listen to them.
4: They're fighting for their survival.
0: Okay, thank you for that. Um, uh, as I say, our main uh, our main focus is on the petition for the and, Um, But uh, you know, I've gotten it from both sides. In fact, I had a um, uh, a, a publication I used to write for that uh, has ceased taking my articles because I had someone on on our our Zoom call that he didn't agree with on Ukraine. So it's a, a very hot button. We have 94 uh, people with us. Uh, we're at the top of the hour. Be- Medea, Dennis, I will understand if you need to go, you've been with us a full hour, but we are gonna continue. Josh Fox will join us and later on, uh, we will uh, uh, talk about his, uh, his project. Medea, you wave your hand. So uh, do you wanna give us a, a final word before you, before you go?
1: Uh, Yes, well, thank you so much for this opportunity. Unlike what Howie says, I think our job as progressives is to end war, uh, not fuel war. Our job is to find other ways of dealing with each other, to do everything we can uh, to promote diplomacy and peace talks, to do everything we can to stop the militarization of our world. And I hope people, when they think about this issue, just have a little refrain in the back of your head that keeps saying, war is not the answer, war is not the answer, because it is not the answer. Um, So thank you again for the opportunity. Let's work together to find a way to end this war, to stop a war with China, stop the war in Sudan, let's just stop war and deal with the climate crisis. Thank you.
0: Yes, and it clearly whoever's right or wrong, if it continues, we'll all be dead. So uh thank you for that, Medea. Thank you for your lifetime of activism. I hope you come back and, and join us uh for the next big issue that comes up. But keep great, up thanks forward. so
1: much. Great.
0: Bye. Thank you. And now we've got Josh Fox wearing a New York, New Orleans Saint hat. Um Josh uh is a great filmmaker, uh, one of the truly pioneer activists on the fracking issue um i heard him speak at tim robbins's theater in uh, la a couple of years ago but he's a master filmmaker and has had a huge i mean a really huge tangible impact on the fracking issue um a uh, very few people can claim the um uh the the real movement that josh has caused on the fracking issue uh he has another production now that we he wants to talk about and um he'll use the chat um and josh go ahead uh, tell us what you got
10: oh thank you so much um for that terrific introduction yes i made gasland gasland part two um and a whole host of other films including most recently the film on standing rock uh, called awake a dream from standing rock which was on netflix which is a collaboration between myself and native american filmmakers i'm actually in the middle of three projects right now one of which is a, has just launched a kickstarter um the kickstarter project uh, the pro- project we're raising funds for and i just put the kickstarter in the um chat i think twice and someone else did too thank you so much and thank you by the way to russell green for inviting me on Uh, This uh, that was so nice of him to just chime in and say, just tell everybody what you're doing. So back in 2020, um, I launched a program called Staying Home with Josh Fox, which was advocating people to stay home during COVID and was advocating very precisely for the government to start to uh, support people to stay home. Because as you know, if you were poor or middle class or didn't have savings or or couldn't stay home, you were thrust back out into the disease we were then um, subjected to culture wars uh, that said, we should reopen the economy, let grandma die, it'll be fine, you know, <laughs> and people like Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump um, you know, were pushing exactly that. And they created a culture war out of the science that was surrounding COVID. There was one person in, in governments who stood up against this, and her name was, is, is Rebecca Jones. Rebecca Jones was the whistleblower who blew the whistle on Ron DeSantis, if you remember in, back in 2020, and she completely blew up in the media, and she said the DeSantis administration is falsifying data, and they're using that to, re, to justify reopening the economy, and this is going to kill tens of thousands of people. Now, by the way, this was back in uh, April uh, May of 2020, right, when we still could have very much gotten that disease under control. Instead. Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis pushed forward to reopen the economy which basically meant telling poor and middle class people that they had to go back to work and they had to be they had to go get covid and die for that billionaire class and America became the center the epicenter of the pandemic after those decisions we have now normalized 1.2 1.3 million deaths from covid and you know that was a policy Decision that was a policy choice. Those same people now are some of the most fascist elements in our government, in our in our country, in our world. Ron DeSantis running for president, and this story of Rebecca Jones really needs to be told. It's a story about truth. It's a story about blowing the whistle. It's also a story about misinformation and how um, people who do blow the whistle and who do come forward get. Attacked with vicious, vicious campaigns. If you may remember, Ron DeSantis had her house raided. She was um, lambasted in the media, probably one of the most targeted people that I can imagine. Uh, and I know this because I went through it. Um, I was the fossil fuel industry public enemy number one for quite a long time, subject to huge amounts of misinformation, lies, arson. Death threats, slander being followed around the country. two feature films being made about me trying to take down Gasland. Rebecca has gone through all of that, and worse, because she is a uh, because she's a woman, <laughs> um, and she's suffering misogynistic attacks, um, sexist attacks. And it's gone on and on and on. She ran for Congress against Matt Gates. The Democrats did not get behind her. Uh, she lost that race. She's been the victim of a lot of smear. Having said that, she's also completely wild, brazen, shocking, bold Aaron Brockovich type—who is definitely ruffling a lot of feathers and is a fascinating person to follow. A fascinating person to um, to, to to understand and to see. Um, so, Rebecca, yes, yeah, someone said in the comments she just left Florida. The persecution was just way too much. I actually really urged her to leave Florida because. It was just too dangerous at this point. So she is a political refugee from Florida. Um, but uh, you know, honestly, the film is going; it, it goes um, it goes places that you will never expect. I'll just say that the last forty eight hours before the election with Matt gates one of the most astounding and crazy and weird moments I've ever experienced filming. um But it is really also a comment on the DeSantis administration on how we became so anti science during this period of time. Um, and we're just looking for your help. Uh, the last thing I'll say about this is we did 60 pitch meetings on this film, something like that, crazy. And the distributors are now saying the quiet part out loud. They're saying it's too political, too political, too political, too political. I had the head of HBO, former head of HBO, tell me Gasland would never come out during this atmosphere, and that's true. We are in one of the most repressive media atmospheres that I've ever seen in my entire lifetime in the United States, and we don't even know it. Um, we have four or five major corporations controlling everything that we watch, including documentaries. I was so happy to hear people mention documentaries and various different documentaries. So this is a vital. We wouldn't be doing Kickstarter without, if we had that support. We are asking, we're trying to raise about $55,000. As you know, the Kickstarter platform takes 10%. So we're trying to raise 60,000. We have 17 days to go. We just started a week ago. We are at about 20% fulfilled. But any help that we can get, whether that's direct donations or, or promoting it to your lists, extremely, extremely helpful. Um, so I'm looking at the, uh, all the comments here. Thank you so much for all those comments and those supports. Um, and, and, and yeah, we, 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 we really need a help to get this film out. Do okay. you really want to play you. the trailer?
8: It's two minutes
10: and sure, go ahead. long.
4: Uh, uh, why, why not?
10: Let's do it. Okay. Can you guys? Can you guys yeah. arrange? Hold on. Awesome. I'll mute myself all that on
0: And then we'll get Ruth Strauss and Barbara Wimsett. Go ahead. Uh, there we are. Uh, we don't have sound there. Mm. Uh, let's try that again. Sorry. <laughs> and we're down to. Uh, we got uh, sixty-six people still with us. Uh, and 25 minutes to go to the top of the hour. Um, uh, But uh, uh, Josh, it's good to have you on. There we go.
10: I come for you one day.
4: Yeah. Police, search warrant, open the door. There
7: are a lot of police outside right now at my house. Um... She is not.
3: The, the chief architect of our web portal, that is another false statement.
5: you think that would be the end of it. Obviously, she's got issues.
11: If we're not getting fully accurate data, then the concern is that we're making decisions based on politics.
0: To report Rebecca Jones. Rebecca Jones. Rebecca Jones. Rebecca Jones. Rebecca
4: Jones. Rebecca Jones. Rebecca Jones, the woman at the center of it all, might face prison time. Became famous because you pushed a coronavirus conspiracy theory.
10: Terminated for insubordination in May. She's not a data scientist.
3: What you're
12: alleging are a very serious Crime crimes. Officers accused were in your home charged with breaking into, into their the computers. Jones system. is accused of, of hacking into
13: Florida's
4: emergency alert system. system. Now Jones could face five turtle years in if she's uh-huh. charged,
13: her uh-huh. agents executed a search warrant on her home earlier war this war month. Officers were, were in your
8: home. You
0: the simple question is what exactly were you asked to do that was so in unusual and improper, and in your opinion, wrong? So,
7: I'm going to go down before they do something and turn myself in.
3: Uh, at the end of the day, I've shown in Florida an ability to win huge swaths of voters that Republicans typically can't win while also delivering the boldest agenda anywhere in the country. As I said yesterday, you ain't seen nothing yet. Florida was a refuge of sanity when the world went mad. We stood as a citadel of freedom for people across this country and indeed across the world.
9: Police! come
3: down there! I'm my children!
9: And I will never,
7: never let them get away with what they did to my kids.
3: And I will be able to uh, destroy leftism in this country and leave woke ideology on the dustbin of history.
7: I look beautiful.
0: Okay, that's amazing. Uh, Josh, you're a hell of a filmmaker. Uh, Unlike, well. I just uh, uh, published a piece attacking Oliver Stone, who is also a hell of a filmmaker, but God forbid you should ever go uh, the route. He has just gone with nuclear power, Um, uh, but- Yeah, uh, I'm sad about what's
10: happened to him, yeah.
0: Yeah, what's happened. It'll never happen to you though, Josh. Uh, So you um, um, are soliciting funds. Uh, We don't often let people on to do that, but um, uh, given your great history, uh, you have a, um, a Kickstarter here with the, uh, the link, and um, we got a few hands for you. Uh, Ruth Strauss, did you want to talk to Josh Fox? Here, we've got 20 minutes to go. Ruth
12: Strauss? Okay. Um, Josh, uh, I hate to say it, but one of the funniest, ironically, things that I remember was your fracking film, where you're in the kitchen of some guy who's living close to a fracking thing, And he turns on his faucet and puts a match to it. And the whole faucet blows up in flames. I mean, it was just so graphic and awful. Uh, I can't wait to see uh, the the, uh, Standing Rock thing. And of course, I'll contribute to this. I'm a physician. Uh, Woke goes to die in Florida? And so do people. And, um, (laughs) you know, uh, Ron DeSantis, I'm sure everybody knows this. But he covered up the statistics of the deaths in his state. So that's number one. Number two, I just want to say this as a physician he was giving people Regeneron IV. Okay, so first of all, you know, it's not just a day in the park to start an IV. And if you're doing it at outpatient centers, it's a surefire way to get infected with bacteria, never mind COVID. Mm. So, but anyway, I was like, okay, I'm pissed off. This must be costing a fortune, you know, to give these IV things. So I go to drug facts and comparisons, which is not the PDR, the physician's desk references by a bunch of experts. I look up Regeneron and it's zero cost. And I'm like, WTF, zero cost? Well, it turns out the reason is because A, it's experimental, just like the vaccines were. It didn't, you know, it had an emergency use authorization, just like the vaccine. And bonus, it's derived from fetal cells. So, all those, you know, people that are beating their chest about, you know, uh, women's rights and right to choose, I, I, you know, it was just totally ironic. So, um, thank Thanks. you so much for doing this. I just feel terrible for Rebecca Jones.
10: Well, thank you so much for saying that. Also, you should know. That the I believe it's the CEO of Regeneron is one of the most major campaign donors to DeSantis's campaign for governor in 2022. So um, DeSantis was was promoting Regeneron and in fact saying to people that that's what they should do in response to COVID when um, it was not effective against Omicron um, or it was not effective against Delta. It was one of those two. But he had come out. Full bore and said everyone can take Regeneron um, into Florida. It's whatever you can get, get it at the uh, local clinic. Um, when in fact, not disclosing the fact that the CEO was giving him millions of dollars, mi- millions of dollars. Um, wow, that's that's exactly so that's what we would, I'm glad you brought that up. It's exactly what we would
0: expect from a guy like Ron DeSantis. I hope your film will expose the fact that he's also gay. That's another story. Uh, Barbara Wimsatt and then Wendy Liederman, please.
14: And then Ruth Strauss. So, hi. Thanks, Josh. I hope now you'll make a a movie about Ukraine. So (laughs) do a documentary about what's going on there. Um, I just wanted to say um, a couple of things. I think, you know, maybe we just need to go back about the history a little bit. um, in which it was in 2015, I believe. That the U.S. was already in Ukraine, uh, 2014, trying 2014, 2014. Excuse me. Yeah. Trying to undermine uh, any Russian um, influence there, and also um, we started putting weapons into Ukraine that early. Okay. Um, and secondly, um, that uh, Russia did try to negotiate with the U.S. and we refused. Um, yeah, at the you know before they they were sort of sitting there okay. waiting to see if the U.S. would negotiate and, and we did refuse um, and all okay. I'm sorry for you
0: well we wanted to, okay just go ahead we wanted to focus on Josh's thing here but go ahead well I thought this was
14: about the war excuse me well <laughs> you know, we're, uh, go ahead just finish <laughs> up and we'll, we'll move ahead now forget it I mean if you want to talk about Josh's home,
0: uh, well, do you um, want to make I, your final point, Barbara, on the war, and then we'll we'll move ahead to Josh. We'll move ahead to Wendy and um, uh, uh, Dorothy. Barbara, did you want to say anything final about the war? Okay. No, Sluggish. She didn't want to. Okay. Thank you, Barbara. Wendy, and then uh, and then. Um, Can I just okay. respond
10: to the uh, Ron DeSantis is gay um I have no idea what Ron DeSantis's sexual preference is um nor do I think that that should in any way be held against him no matter what his sexual preference is but I will say that Ron DeSantis is one of the most bigoted people against LGBTQ uh folks and, and lesbian gay bisexual and trans uh people in in our country um he has been going after uh trans people he's been going after gay people He passed the don't say gay bill on the anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting, which was a time, very targeted shooting against gay and lesbian trans people at a gay nightclub in Florida. Um, He's one of the most brazenly bigoted and homophobic people that we have in this country, and we are not holding him to account for that. Um, the, the, The man is a pig, and it is absolutely so distressing to me. What he is employing which also Donald Trump does, is called stochastic terrorism. When stochastic terrorism is hate speech focused on a particular group um, that you spread throughout the the media landscape, and then you know somewhere there's going to be a terrorist attack influenced by that. So it's like heating up the popcorn in the bottom of the pan. You don't know which kernels are going to pop first, but you know some of them are going to pop, right? So when you have that kind of anti-LGBTQ rhetoric, you can lay at the feet of Ron DeSantis the nightclub sh- shooting in in Colorado Springs. You can say that this type of bigoted thing is c- causing truly insane people who are armed with AR-15s to go and murder our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. So um, I-, I know that w- what you were saying was meant to be funny. I don't mean to be. I'm not lambasting you for that. No, reason. it wasn't. I, but I but I wanted to just point out that that um, you know we we absolutely cannot tolerate this type of speech against our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and against our community. Well, the theory, it wasn't actually meant to be funny. The theory is that um,
0: anybody who's so completely obsessed with issues of sexual preference
10: mm-hmm. must have issues of his own. Well, I just think that DeSantis is so completely obsessed with any type of culture war that he can glom onto. He's learned that from Donald Trump. Any kind of, thing that can put him, uh, you know, anti-woke, anti-gay, um, you know, all of the things in which uh, anti-science um, that he can do to try to arouse the same type of bigoted support that Donald Trump has, he's trying to mimic that. Not not to cut you off, but I, I you know, I, I honestly believe that he is one of the most brazen, self-serving politicians in that regard. I don't know what he believes in he does come across as a sociopath but all of those types of elements are um because he's trying to get that culture war to to, to 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 drum up support for his for his own career um and that is one of the most dastardly and fascistic aspects about him
0: well i and many others find him absolutely terrifying uh but uh, the uh, the assertion that he might be gay is not meant as to be funny I mean, uh, people who are so, we have such a history in this country of right-wingers who assault LGBTQ people and then turn out to be gay that, um, you know, uh, I think it's in keeping. Uh, uh, Wendy Liederman, go ahead, and then Dorothy
7: thank you it's so awesome to meet you josh it's like such a great honor to have you here um you. and i'll just say i'm in south florida and i think one way um we deal with it is like we you know langston hughes says you get a laugh to keep from crying so um mm-hmm. you know a lot of people call him like Ron DeSantis, like he's you know self-loathing you know he tortured people at gitmo we're finding so it's it's one of these things where it's like he just can't stand himself so he has to be so violent against others and a lot of people don't realize we have like a huge homosexual population in South Florida. So I think it's also a way of like driving out the undesirables, like he's doing with the immigrants and all that. And so um bring up a lot of great points. And they had Nazi rallies like in front of his rallies. <laughs> so I mean it's 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 terrifying times. Um and yeah. just about yeah, yeah. It's um so we're we're doing the best we can. I'm part of the um the borrowed progressive caucus. I'm on the board here and I've actually met Rebecca just a couple times. I don't know if she'd remember, but um she's spoken with us, like, taking some time, and she's super down to earth. Like, you could tell she's just, everything she does is for people. Like, she's just giving, 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 and yeah, like, she's she's really awesome, and I know she's friends with some of the leaders of our caucus, so anything we can do to help you, um, we definitely love to do that. Um, And again, like, Rebecca, like, literally, I think all she did was reveal that the numbers were off of, like, how many people had COVID. Like, it wasn't even, like, anything major it was just like wait these numbers don't match up and they like came for her life like came for everything came for her kids and all that and um just I'd love to talk to you more Josh about that and a few other things you brought up that hopefully maybe we can provide you support with and um and also I, just kind of a side note but my my gut is telling me to tell you this um for a lot of your amazing environmental work that you do um we just had on a couple weeks ago my friend Maya van rossom who authored um, Green amendments, and she's been sure. working with the kids and yeah so um, i'd love to link you with her, because I think that you guys could maybe uplift each other a lot, but I would love to connect with you more some other time, and just hopefully we'll have you back and you keep us um, posted on how things are going and how we can help you. Thank you so much. I,
10: I do know Maya Van Rossum, obviously from the Delaware, not obviously but but from the Delaware River Basin, which is where I, I I'm from and where the Gas movies originate. And she's the Delaware River keeper. Uh they're a terrific organization. Um, you know, in addition to the Rebecca Jones film, which we are right now sort of in crunch time trying to get ready. Uh, there's a film called The Welcome Table, which we're doing about climate refugees. That's going to HBO. Um, so I can put that um in the chat as well. If you're interested, we are we are actually raising money for that movie too. Um we we have a little bit of a backlog going on because of the anti-political film, uh the way that you know, the way the distributors have been very, very shy to deal with um political films. Um and that, so, and, and, and at the same time, I'm also making a film, or not making, but finished a film called uh, The Edge of Nature, which is about long COVID. Um, and it's also about the anthropause, the moment when, the, you know, the anthropause was the only time in our history that we actually reduced emissions enough to stop climate change, uh, the first 10 months of COVID. So we learned how to stop climate change, and now we're just ignoring it completely and, and pretending that never existed. Amazing. The most difficult and intractable problem on the face of the earth. We're just like, ah, we fixed it, but who cares? We're just going to go headlong into the other, uh, the opposite direction. So that's my third film, The Edge of Nature, The Welcome Table, and The Rebecca Jones Project. But seriously, our time, our clock is ticking right now um, uh, because of The Welcome Table. Uh, I'm sorry, because of the, the Kickstarter campaign on Rebecca Jones. So anything you guys can do to help push that out, send it out to your lists. Even $5, $10, you know, basically we're raising 60 grand on Kickstarter. That's 600 people with $100, you know, shouldn't be that hard to do. Or, you know, 1,200 people with $50, 6,000 people with $1, 60,000 people with $1, you know how it works. Um, so we're 20% of the way there. We have 17 days left. So that's, that's why I'm so grateful to Russell to invite me on today to talk about this. Thank you, Josh.
0: I want to thank before we wind up here, uh, Dennis Bondar. Dennis, if you're still with us, uh, thank you for your presentation. Greatly appreciated, and um, uh, we uh, uh, we we hope you'll come back. Uh, And Josh, just for your information, we spent much of the time in the first hour uh, discussing the need for a UN intervention for a demilitarized zone at the Zaporizhia nuclear plant. Which um, uh, what's going on there is absolutely terrifying. And um, no matter what side one may take or feel about the U- war in Ukraine, uh, the number one danger to the human race, probably in the, on the planet right now, in immediate terms, is what's going on at Zaporizhia. So that was that's to inform you. We are pushing a petition to the UN to uh, have a, a, a global intervention. Thank you, uh, Dennis Abandar, if you're still with us uh, for your presentation. Thank you, Harry Hawkins, for. Bringing him on and for raising this issue it's very important. Dennis, um,
8: okay. Dennis is not here. David Brown is from Pennsylvania. We have David Brown from Pennsylvania that's still on our list that we committed to. So
0: Okay, we'll do that. Um, um, we'll go through Justin and Lynn, and then we'll go to David Brown for the last couple of minutes. Uh, where are you from? Matt? Well, you, Josh Fox is a Pennsylvania boy. Maybe you guys know each other. David Brown running for Congress there. Uh, Justin, Lynn, and then we'll go to David Brown.
9: Please. What happened to me? I was supposed to be next. Oh, Dorothy. Uh,
0: okay, go ahead, Dorothy, please. Hi, you? hi,
9: Josh. So, you know, I, I first heard about you through someone named Lance Simmons, who was here when you did Gaslight. He came to California to promote your movie. I don't know if you remember him. I, I guess We literally
10: talked to Lance Simmons this afternoon.
9: Yeah, I, t- I talked to him a lot because we're involved in politics together. I don't, so.
1: to
10: I don't talk to him a lot, but he called me this afternoon. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, talking uh, ra- 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 Ranting and raving about the insanities of uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. But we can talk about well, that. Yeah,
9: that's another, that's another whole story. Um, I want to beg you, and I beg everybody, do not use climate change. It's global warming. Climate change is a phrase that was concocted by Frank Luntz, the Republican messaging guy, because he felt that global warming sounded too scary. And climate change sounded innocuous, which it does, because change can be good. And we have to break ourselves of the habit of using that that phrase. It's a it's a, a dangerous, dangerous phrase. Please, I beg you, do not use it. Okay. Um, I would. Probably, I admit,
0: since you got that, uh, I use global weirding, which comes from uh, Amory
9: Lovins. Just not climate change. Change is a good thing. And, and um, so I was going to say that perhaps. Um, I have a friend named Ian Masters. has a show called Background Briefing. It goes out to a hell of a lot of people, and they have, uh, and a lot of them, some of them have actually have money. So, Russell, maybe you and I will introduce um, Josh to and get him on uh, Ian's program. That would be great. And so, what is Rebecca Jones exactly doing right now?
10: Rebecca Jones was running for Congress up until November. Um, she has been through the ringer for three years. She is currently trying to find a job, to be honest. Nobody so still
9: she still has her children? She's, moved to Maryland.
10: she's just finally moved to Maryland um, uh, to get out of Florida. Um, her family has suffered quite a, quite a bit of persecution. She's in the middle of a lawsuit, um, which I don't know much about because it's a civic suit and I, I can't know much about it. Um, she, uh, 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 so she's try- trying to find work. Um, she's, I think, trying to recuperate from three years of just total wall-to-wall insanity. Um, she's, uh, you know, so um, I, I think, uh, you know, right now, the most important thing uh, for her is to resettle in, in Maryland, regroup a little bit, and then see if somebody will hire her. The thing that's so difficult about all of this, and you can you can ask any of these whistleblowers throughout history, is after you go and do this, and uh, um, it's very, very hard to get hired um it's very very hard to find to re- and as a young person she's only like thirty three years old or something like this um that she's she's so so her husband's looking for a new job right now she's looking for a new job um you know uh she's de- definitely helping us try to promote the film um You know, even though there are definitely moments where you might question her judgment in the film, even though it is not like a a, like a just as, you know, lionizing only, you know, I mean, she's a human being. And she's allowed us to make an accurate and very interesting and intricate portrait of her, uh, especially as she goes through a lot of hardship. Um, But, you know, Daniel Ellsberg, uh, right before he passed away, uh, sung her praises. He said, listen, no one in our government, not even Anthony Fauci. Laid all the documents in front of people and said, you know, these policies are killing people. Rebecca did that. So, you know, she's uh, she's looking for 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 work Um, and, uh, uh, you know, part of a great legacy of whistleblowers in this country who were trying really hardly, really hard to get people not to die. You know, Um, when you look at the numbers, when she actually spoke out in April of 2020 versus what they became. Um, and Ron DeSantis and his Florida push right there was one of the most adamant ideological voices about not giving people money. I mean, look at what they did in New Zealand. They paid people to stay home. It's re- absurd to think that they could do that in New Zealand and not in the United States. We're the richest country in the world, right? It's absurd to think that they would give people assistance in Europe and not in the United States. Well, that's the culture war that we're talking about. So um, if anyone knows uh, where, where she, she should go, uh, she yeah exactly. Thank you for some put, somebody put in the chat. Rebecca on her own time maintained an accurate COVID dashboard for a long time. She actually included school schools in that dashboard. Um, kids that, that Florida wasn't taking, keeping track of. Um, she was posting school COVID data for the whole nation. Um, she did have assistance from from Google. She did have uh, she she fundraised for it. But right now, you know that that money always runs out, and so she definitely needs employment. If people know. Uh, need a great data person, a scientist, a person who, uh, in climate change, um, a person who will speak her own mind, <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, go, uh, let me know. It's,
9: it's too bad California is so expensive. She can't, you know, she can probably find work here, but could she afford to live here? That's another story. Okay, I'll, you
14: know.
9: I'll tell Russell, send me the, all the information that I need. I'll send it to my list, and I'll get it to Ian, and I'll make a contribution, of course. Okay, and I'll say hi to Lance for you. <laughs>
0: Again, if he's not well, Russell's searching. not here, Dorothy, but we can um, get get you connected. I'll,
9: I'll be in touch with
0: him. And uh, uh, Josh, very quickly, before I go to Josh and Lynn, David Brown is a candidate for Congress in Pennsylvania. David, do you want to introduce yourself to Josh? Josh has a long history in Pennsylvania. I'd Hi, be David Brown, where are you?
11: Well, very well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. Josh, I'm thrilled to connect with you. Um, I am, so I'm running in, in Pennsylvania's 166th, uh, State House District, which is currently held by an incumbent Democrat who who actually chairs the House Environmental Research uh, resources and energy committee um, and is a strong proponent of nuclear power as an alternative energy source uh, you know as, as a as an answer as the answer to to uh, the fossil fuels issue um, obviously Pennsylvania it's a big deal we are the largest um uh, energy producer that doesn't impose a severance tax on on fossil fuel extraction Uh, my mother lives in the blast radius of the mariner east pipeline josh you may be familiar with that monstrosity um so so it's a major issue and and fortunately i i live in a district that is it's democratic it's quite progressive amenable to candidates who brand themselves that way Uh, my issue is is merely and this will come as no surprise to you. Name recognition, because I think I have about the most boring name on earth, and my opponent has been there <laughs> since I was in preschool about 30 years ago. So, uh, so that my my platform largely centers the environment, uh, workers' rights, trying to trying to navigate that very difficult juxtaposition of Democrats who support labor. And of course, I fall very, very wholeheartedly into that category. Um, you might be able to tell by my background, I'm a musician. I am a member of the Philadelphia Musicians Union. Uh, very distinct from the, the building traits, which tend to be, um, uh, in spite of, of their good work around labor laws, um, a real issue when it comes to uh, pressuring Democrats to take bad votes around the environment when it's believed that fracking is the only potential source of jobs. Uh, My other work is actually very, very, Uh, it centers the separation of church and state. That's that's my other life. I run a podcast called Unreasonable, and we talk about the, the nature of Christian nationalism in this country. Uh, I am the uh, I'm the chair of the Pennsylvania Secular Democrats, and our work is we are not uh, we're not an atheist support group exactly. We are we're an activism organization. We endorse and support candidates who are who are uh, pro science, who are pro abortion rights uh who are pro-democracy. Uh I'd be happy, I know we don't have any time left, but I'm gonna put my information in the chat, uh including information about unreasonable, secular Dems of PA, and my campaign, which formally begins after the November election, and I'd be thrilled to answer any questions.
0: Well David, why don't you have Josh on your uh on your
10: podcast? Um, I would love to. Where where's the district?
11: It is just. I Should have mentioned that's just west of Philadelphia. So I live in Haverford Township. It's all of Haverford Township and the northernmost part part of uh, Marble Township.
10: I know. I know Haverford uh, well. I've spoken there before. Hey, Where I, all you? Right. I've spoken at the school. All right, it's so across the street guys, from my house. Cool.
0: Why don't you guys exchange um, um, contacts Absolutely.
11: Absolutely. and have
0: Josh on your on your podcast? And Josh, this is a guy in Pennsylvania, obviously that you should be in touch with. Well,
10: I'm very,
11: very grateful to meet you and to speak with all of you.
10: Um, so uh, easiest way to get in touch with me just to uh, hit me up on Instagram. Um, it's at Josh Fox Film, and I can um, I respond to that quite a bit. Okay, wonderful. I think Thank I'm you. doing the messaging wrong on the chat, and I don't know how to fix it. But I'll learn.
0: Oh, there well. you are, uh, David. I see your your contacts here, David Brown, with State Rep, and uh, God knows we need. Um, our progressive state reps in Pennsylvania. Um uh Josh, do you still live in Pennsylvania? Where are you based?
10: Yeah, I do. Um I have uh I am based uh right in New York, uh, Brooklyn, but I also am still very much in Pennsylvania. I have a house there that I'm at more than half, at least half the time. Um our workspace is here in Brooklyn. that you're seeing uh, this is our rehearsal at studios and film studios and whatnot. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm in Wayne County up in the northwest, northeast okay. corner of PA, all the way up in the, in the corner near the Delaware River. Um, and yeah, PA, you know, <laughs> Pennsylvania politicians um, are, uh, even Democrats are, are often uh, pro fracking. We've had a lot of lip service to uh, fixing the issues with fracking in the state of Pennsylvania and very, very, very little action. Governor Josh Shapiro, we were hoping would be a bright light on this, uh, because he prosecuted the fracking industry with criminal um offenses while he was attorney general and then he turned around and reopened the area endemic and in gasland um, to drilling um, and now those people are, are completely screwed so we um we have no uh, real champions in government and pa um summer lee is terrific she was an activist uh, that I knew back in Western PA, um, but sure. Doug shields was terrific. So we do have a smattering of great people. Um, you know, but the history of the Democrats in in PA is still very much influenced by people like Ed Randell, um, who were pro fracking, who were completely corrupt, <laughs> who were not, um, not uh, with the progressive wing of the Democrats. Um, so it's great to to hear that, uh, that you're running and be happy to talk to you more.
11: Well, thank you. Be thrilled okay. to connect. Believe it or not, we have we have a faction of our secular Democrats up there in Wayne County. So I, I know where you are, and, and there are some folks fighting the good fight up there.
0: Well, it's great to connect, you guys. This is what we've been trying to do. And uh, uh, David, it's good to have you on. And uh, I hope you get in to the uh, to the Pennsylvania House. I want to mention, by the way, we have Rhonda Roth uh, on the call, uh, Josh. She is a very uh, hardcore Florida Energy activist and really great, uh, some person you should know in the prog- progress of your film, and I'm sure she knows a lot about about uh, uh, Rebecca. Okay, it's okay. a wonderful
10: thing to be on with you guys. I, I really appreciate just the comu- the feeling of community that I'm I'm having right now.
0: <laughs> so, well, the feeling it, of it's community it's great to have. It's great to have you, and we after two full hours, we have 53 people still with us. So uh, I want to call on Justin Lynn and Mary and David, uh, make sure that while we've got your contacts, uh, you're welcome to chime in again. Okay, Uh, Justin, go ahead.
8: Yeah, three points, context, connection, and creativity. So context, California has uh, been leading the nation in building solar and batteries. Uh, One of the things that IBW has been a kind of a stick in the mud about, though, is they will not uh, create a pipeline for people from Changing over from being pipe fitters to being electrical transmission tower people, so that's uh, how uh, an issue for labor and moving uh, climate catastrophe mitigation forward. Uh, then uh, connection. I'm wondering, Josh, if you have had much opportunity to connect with people around, uh, you know, some of the pipelines going through like the Great Lakes, especially Michigan. Uh, and then the third thing is, uh, if you've also had. Um any uh, much to say uh in places about uh basically subsidies for the arts, uh movie making especially, kind of like the idea of uh democracy vouchers where people can put money towards uh, their favorite candidates, they can put money towards public filmmaking.
10: I love that idea. Um first of all, let me just say about pipelines. Our films. Oh, you got muted, sir. So my films. Gasland in 2010, Gasland Part 2 in 2013, How to Let Go of the World and Love All the Things Climate Can't Change, which was on HBO and Sundance in 2016, Awake, A Dream from Standing Rock, The Truth Has Changed in 2020. Every one of those films has had a really extensive grassroots engagement tour. What does that mean? It means we say to the movement, who wants us to come and help you with whatever fight you're in the middle of? And Thankfully, we have foundation support usually to do that. So that means I can go to a frontline battle for free, show the film. The activists and organizers in that region can then organize and have an event. And some of those events are anywhere between 50 people to 5,000 people, right? Um, We've had quite a lot of, of these events, over 500 of these events. So 500 frontline battles all across the United States and in Europe. And we show up with the film or show up with the performance and not to mention Solutions Grassroots, which is a whole nother thing. Um, and we try to educate people about the issue that the activists are working on in that area. So lots and lots and lots of pipeline battles. Right. When we were in Michigan, we, we definitely highlighted a few of those pipeline battles. We highlighted pipeline battles across the, the East Coast and in Florida and in California. So wherever we are summoned to go with the movie, we tend to show up right because that's the whole program right movies don't create change movies don't create um actual political change movements create change so our movies are there to support the movements and so our work and i take this very very seriously is about that organizing and you know i've had hollywood outfits like participant pictures you know i go in there i tell them i show all the stuff that we've done and they say josh you get all those people in a room oh my god what do you tell them to do i said this is your problem in Hollywood. We don't tell them what to do. They tell us what to do. It's the frontline organizers who always know what they need, right? We're just there to be like the big show. We're the circus coming to town. So we're showing that film, we're educating people with our film, but it's the frontline activists that are are supposed to be and what we want to be the beneficiaries of that, right? So with these three new films, The Welcome Table, The Edge of Nature, and the Rebecca Jones film, we will do the same thing. The Edge of Nature right now, which is a film about preserving nature, about climate change, about about long COVID as well. That film we're going to be making into a performance where I'm doing the music and the narration live. We're going to be opening that in New York next year, but there are also a whole bunch of farms and frontline, you know, places that are looking for that right now. Um, I did a performance of it in Amsterdam and in Mexico City, and we're we're putting that out on the road as soon as we can. The welcome table, we're going to be doing the same thing about conflict, and about climate refugees. So for for, for us, like that idea of getting to the front line, fighting those pipelines, fighting those battles, um, we're just there to aid the movement. So we'll show up for free. The movement and the organizers have to book the hall and they have to get the people um but then they can use that event in whatever they want fundraising matriculation into their organizations drives for petitions whatever it is um so that's our model of change that's how we built the anti-fracking movement coast to coast and around the world um and so we're here to fight pipelines and we're here to do that frontline organizing um and have the media serve serve the movement um so that was the first question yeah. the second question about fundraising you know we're a theater company as well as a film company <laughs> um so we've had grants from the nea we've had grants from the map fund we've had grants from new york state council for the arts we're always looking for more funding we never have enough <laughs> we're not millionaires certainly not i wish i wish we had uh gotten those types of deals we decided to work with hbo which pays us a lot less than if we were with movies and theaters but has a huge huge reach our our agenda was always to change things um but it has always put us in a place where we're scrambling for money so Um, Yes, by all means, I love those arts proposals. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Josh. Uh, Lynn, we're over time, but we'll we'll go another 10 minutes with Josh. Uh, Lynn Feinerman and Mary Stonewall and then Steve and Jeffrey Parker will have a uh, question for you. Uh, Mike, if you want to sign off, I think Steve can carry us, but uh, we'll give Josh the extra time. Uh, 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 Go ahead, Lynn and Mary and, and then Steve, you'll have the last word. And Jeffrey Barker will have a question for you. Go ahead, Owen.
6: Okay, um, just wanted to um, give a sort of footnote by way of the day's news, uh, which appeared on Democracy Now, regarding climate change, global warming, frogs in a pot, heating up, whatever you wanna call it. Um, today, Greg Abbott signed a bill in Texas saying that no matter how hot it gets in Texas, people have limited to no capacity to get a drink or take a rest when they are working outside in the heat. While that was being signed, the planned ice dome or ice bridge for the petrochemical companies in Texas was underway.
0: Well, you know, it's unbelievable. Uh, Jeffrey Bartle wanted to raise the issue that um, Ron DeSantis is a product of both Yale and Harvard. <laughs> I don't know what you know, and there's a map that we that's got us all terrified. Uh, we started with that uh, a couple of hours ago and and here we are, and of course, fracking is right at the heart of that. David Brown, when you're in the uh, Pennsylvania legislature, I'll, I hope you'll be able to do something about it <clears throat> Mary, Mary, and then Steve. Mary Butler Stonewall and then Steve Caruso to take us out. Oh, my
13: God. Look at that. All right. Hey, um, this is for Josh. Go ahead. Um, You work with a lot of the mainstream activists. But there's people like me out there that we're the only ones blowing the whistle in in regards to, like, for me, it's inadequate building codes versus uh, global warming. And pointing out the fact that the United States for 300 years has been building in tornado all over the United States. And they have not adjusted building codes to take into account the natural disaster environmental history of the region. And not, no building code is addressing that. Like in Egyptian time, if an engineer built a building and a natural weather phenomenon took that building down, the engineer was held liable. In Mm -hmm. today's society, we have a cookie cutter mentality of build up, board up, tear down, rebuild. And then we complain that Portland cement's run out of cement. Well, of course they are. We're rebuilding communities year after year. And then they're complaining that the woods aren't growing back fast enough for the demand of wood in America to rebuild. Why Mm -hmm. not? Because we are constantly wasting our natural resources. And nobody, nobody you know, they'll tell you that the cows farts your causing in carbon and they'll tell you your car is cars in carbon. But nobody's making the big argument that I'm making, which is the biggest one. When we have a natural disaster coming into effect, we have to put out carbon for the evacuation. So you have so many more cars on the road than you'd normally have escaping the town. Then you have the guys that are doing the sandbagging and the boarding up of the windows, everything. All that's carbon being put into the air. Then you have the rescue, all the heavy equipment, helicopters, planes, everything that's sent out, that carbon is put into the air. Then you have the the, uh, teardown. And when we get rid of stuff, almost every disaster is from 7,000 cubic tons to over 70,000 cubic tons of waste that cannot be separated. It cannot be recycled. It gets buried or dumped at sea. It, nobody's talking about this end of what is causing global warming. And, you know, they say carbon emissions are the highest recorded in history, and they're trying to blame it on cows and this and that. And, and yeah, coal industry, yes. Cars, yes. But the number one contributor is due to the fact that building codes does not mandate better standards for the environment with which a structure is put in. And the United States did, here's the neat thing in history, the United States did address it in the 1700s. And it was argued, the circle okay. out inside the box, that we'd lose square footage in taxes. So they did not amend the law. They said that once we had enough people in the United States, that they would change building codes and never did. Okay. Thank you, well,
10: I mean, all of these things are related to the climate, Right. We know that all of our buildings, all of our roads, all of our everything is based on knowing where water goes, how much water, knowing where moisture is, how much moisture, knowing, you know, how hot it is, you know, how cold it's going to be. When is it going to freeze? All of the things that we have created in this world are based on the Holocene, on a stable climatic regime that no longer exists. We are currently in what's called the Anthropocene, the human era of of climate. Some call it the Pyrocene, the the era, the age of fire. Um, We're certainly in that today in New York. We have more smoke from the wildfires again uh, in Canada. So every single thing that we've ever built has to be reevaluated for a different planet. The planet that we're on now is not the planet that built, that created building standards and building codes years ago. So when we see things collapse uh, and we don't say climate is a factor, that's a problem.
0: Wow, thank you, Josh. Uh, David Brown, uh, before we turn over to Steve, uh, Jeffrey Barkdale wants to connect with you, Josh, as do many others. I'm sure if you'll put your links in the chat that again, that would be great. Uh, david brown did you want to comment before we roll on out
11: well sure i you know as uh, josh and i evidently both come from from a state that where this argument is so is so where this issue is uh is so central (laughs) to state policy pennsylvania is responsible for one percent of all global global carbon emissions so you know this is this is something this is an issue where uh i mean it became issue number one on my campaign, because it's it's now it's now even among Republicans uh, of whom there are not too many in my district uh, that climate change, global warming is not is it's becoming less controversial. And it's it's my aspiration that that a faction of us, uh, Summerlee, who's now in Congress, of course, is a great example of somebody who led on this issue uh, in the state legislature can can Start to steer the Democratic party in a better direction toward accepting that that there is uh, there does not have to be this false dichotomy between labor and the environment you know the, and in fact i th- I think I saw someone in the comments mention something about um pipe fitters perhaps and and uh job transitioning now of course, when somebody like me an a professional organizer with violinists' hands comes to a central labor council meeting and says. So starts talking about job retraining, it sounds hopelessly condescending and ill-informed, um, which is exactly why I believe that that labor leaders need to be part of these discussions, because these are these are folks whose energies and influence could be used for good in our endeavor for for mitigating the climate crisis. Uh, that's it's it's not being discussed um, at least broadly within within the Pennsylvania Democratic Party. Um, I'm hoping that we can we can invigorate more of that discussion. Uh, Again, Josh, I'm thrilled about the work that you're doing. I I do hope we can connect. Pennsylvania is, uh, in a it's, it's in trouble, but it's got a lot of opportunity right now. Democrats did just retake the House for the first time in 12 years or so. Uh, we do have a divided bicameral legislature, but with Shapiro, uh, who is not always great, as, we've, as it's been observed, on, on uh, the fracking issue, we do ha- we've seen just in the past couple of weeks that his administration will apply to pressure. He was just uh, approving uh, $100 million to school voucher programs siding with the, Repu- with the, uh, the Senate, GOP. And between the teachers' union and his constituents, we we made a, a lot of noise about it, and, and he pledged to line veto the hundred million. So uh, I'm optimistic. I see potential in our state, uh, and I'd be I, I truly tonight's event tonight's meeting has been has been an eye opener for me to learn uh, of your community about your issues to understand the nuclear issue better. Um, frankly, I hope it will inform my own my own uh, policy. Uh, if I'm so fortunate to be elected next year. So uh, I'll be back and I hope that uh, you'll all be comfortable reaching out to me. I'll put my information in the chat one more time just so you can reach me. All of these email addresses, by the way, go to me. Um, but I'd, I'd be thrilled to continue the discourse.
0: Uh, I did, ha- thank you, David. I did uh, have uh, put your your links in the chat. I did, Howie Hawkins, I had a re- request in the chat for the link to the uh, petition to the UN. To send in the peacekeepers at Zaporizhia. If you'd put that in the chat once again, it came from David Hartzell, who's a great, great activist for many, many decades. Um, and uh, uh, I do want to point out when you're talking to labor about um, our energy issues, that in California, and of course, this is true at Limerick and the other nuclear plants in, uh, in Pennsylvania, in California, there are 1,500, 1500 workers at the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant. And there are 70,000 people working in solar energy in California alone. And the 70,000 people who are working in solar energy in California is a bigger number than the entire workforce digging coal in the United States. So, you know, the the labor issue with renewables is clear as a bell and you know that is where the jobs are in Pennsylvania in California anywhere as i'm sure josh can tell you from his experiences with fracking
11: well, it's very difficult to to breach this subject as a as a candidate. I, last year, last year I ran and lost. Um, I earned the the highest percentage of any challenger to this candidate in history, but I I was just the winner of the losers in that regard. So I, I, I got work to do, but I, I made an attempt to to earn the support of my county's central labor council. Um, I I they they abhor my opponent because he won't. Even pick up the phone when they call. He doesn't have any interest in talking to them. But uh, but I uh, I gave my my stump speech and the very first question that came out of I forget which which trade uh, which which leader asked me this question. But right away, okay, tell me your position on natural gas. And I had their att- I was honest with them. And about a half hour later, their attorney called me to say, you know, you just kissed fifty thousand dollars goodbye. What you should have said is, I'm here to make pipelines safe. <laughs> Just like, just, just like X, Y, or Z, other democratic candidates said. So it's.
0: Somebody's got to make the issue that renewable energy is the job source. Yeah. You should have. It is the job source. You should them with. In, there are more people working in renewables in this country than nuclear by far, than coal by far. And, uh, and even than oil. I mean, there's still uh, equivalent numbers in gas, but uh, that, you know, somebody's got to, make that breakthrough, and maybe someday the renewable energy industry will get some brains and, and, and start
8: supporting candidates like you. So, I, I didn't know bribes were legalized. That guy can't say that and get away with it. He should be arrested. Come on. <laughs> Seriously. Right. I mean, you know, did you have him on recording? He offered me $50,000 because I said a certain thing. He's trying to bribe a politician. He should be charged, right? Well, This is know, crazy. It. Well, One other thing that David's into that's really important is the separation of church and state and i i just want to put that out there thank you that's all i wanted to say
11: well and actually one one little thing i would add to that is i could not have envisioned the separation issue as it pertained to the environment when i first breached this once i first got into this work i mean i i i'm a lifelong secular person and a professional organizer but the juxtaposition thereof you know where where church state separation meets activism and where the issues how deep the issues run uh, was pretty stunning to me to learn and and I will just say on climate change there are large factions of influential activists uh, religious leaders apostles within the new apostolic reformation who see this planet as a mere stepping stone to to yeah. something else it's therefore true. why do we have a responsibility to be stewards of this of this this temporary this placeholder this purgatory that's the wrong term of course but but it's it's this is you know our our mere i don't know um 60 to 80 70 to 90 years alive on this planet is nothing compared to eternity why do we have to take care of this planet um and 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 then it becomes especially harrowing when you realize that this is this is a a ubiquitous thought among the religious right uh ubiquitous philosophy philosophy and and all of a sudden the separation issue becomes paramount to the environment issue.
0: Well, just remember, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Never forget that.